offered for the approval of the Midnight Society. It's Vidra, please. A hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. And I'm a cheeky replicator that just puts your food on the ground. Peter. Before we discuss this week's episode, Peter, I need to give a shout out to one of our loyal Vidra, please, listeners. Uh, Michael, we know him as tall. Uh, He is a delightful man, and he's been a friend of both of ours for many years. He recently decided to finish watching Star Trek Picard. Now, here on Vija Please, we absolutely do not advocate for self-harm in any way, shape, or form, so we would never suggest anyone watch Star Trek Picard. However, watching someone watch Star Trek Picard for the first time can be its own form of entertainment. I would say it was far more entertaining watching him go through the throes than it was watching Picard itself. His reaction to the finale captured so much of my own emotions. I I truly knew what he was feeling. You know, like, I, I was in such a similar wavelength as him. I knew what he was going through. We stopped doing our reviews, what, episode five of Picard? Maybe four? Five or six, yeah. We really get that deep in. Yeah, we, we we got halfway through. We made the decision to stop and then did one more because we had already watched it. If you recall, that's kind of why it feels right. like we went. He asked if we, we ever finished it off and did a recap, and I I dug through the archives. That was at the end of uh Vija Please season four. We we used part of that rest in peace, <clears throat> the rip to do our final thoughts on Picard. It's that started about the hour mark. So if there's ever anybody out there that wants to see our true final thoughts. Uh, check out that season four rip. Go an hour in, and, and we'll pick up on the Picard conversation. But uh, again, I'm glad we did that. It's nice to be able to go through and remember my thoughts that I have forgotten so many times about that property. Yeah, it's the the funny part of doing a show like this. I know that you and I, you know, we talk about this, and for someone who listens to it for the first time, it's very current for them, but. It was years ago that we watched like season three, right? Like it was it from our present relative position in time. That was several years ago. I don't remember everything I said about season three. No. <laughs> I In fact, I don't think I remember a quarter of the things I said about season three specifically. I remember my sentiments about it. I remember the overall mood I had, you know, we had about it, that being positive. But sometimes it is very uh, useful to go back and listen to what we said about things. And I think we'll end up doing more of that as we start to form our thoughts about the season or the series as a whole, because we're getting actually not only to the end of season six, but necessarily the end of the show itself. But before we get to that end, we have this week's episode, Peter, what was it? We're moving into season six, episode 25, the haunting of deck 12. I said last week that this one gets bagged on a lot. And I have not watched it in a practically forever because it just has this reputation of being bad. That reputation is completely false. I thought this was great. I wouldn't go with great. It was certainly okay to to maybe go. for season sucks. And granted, season sucks, a.k.a. season six, has hit some very high points for me personally. I really loved uh, last week's entry, which was... Uh, Lifeline, Maximum Picardo, which one was Fury? 
Oh, the Voyager grows up blonde, blonde's rotten. Yeah, that that's a <laughs> that's a mixed bag. Muse was all right. Uh, Live fast and prosper was awesome. Good Shepherd. You know that they they've certainly turned things around for what was a deplorable season, and in the light of a deplorable season, yeah, I thought uh, I thought haunting a deck twelve was interesting. It was nice to have Neelix front and center. And I was thinking in the shower about that dirty space rat like you like you do when you're naked, right? Mm-hmm. His fused toes, his rubber hobbit feet. It's fucking cursed images that we will never be without. <laughs> I mean, they even zoomed into them. They made it so you couldn't forget. <laughs> They're them. like, like they... man, these prosthetics are fucking terrible. Hey, zoom in on these. Let's really rub <laughs> uh, Tony's face in the shit over in the prop department. The many faces of Neelix, right? You've got Papa Neelix, which we get in this one, and that's the Neelix that uh, is the kind, soft, uh, stepfatherly figure that takes care of Naomi Wildman and now the Borg children. You got our favorite, which is New Jack Neelix, and that's the drug-dealing space merchant Neelix. You've got (laughs) cowardly cat person Neelix, (laughs) you know, Uh, cowardly lion Neelix, who cannot handle stress whatsoever he needs he needs a a a quiet room at all times you've got murder troll neelix which is one of my personal favorites and that's neelix that uh always has the troll face kind of looking at the camera in the eye but like who am i gonna kill now how how am i gonna get the ship or away team in a really dangerous situation with my hijinks just to remind everyone, Neelix not only killed someone, he killed someone and then dropped a CSI Miami level one liner after killing them. Uh, you're talking about Jonas, not Hogan, right? Because Neelix has killed correct. a couple people at this point. I mean, now, how like, many people has Neelix killed? Hogan was killed through negligence. Jonas was killed on purpose. Was was it I, again? That's what I'm saying. Troll Neelix. I I don't think Hogan was negligence. I I think he got him killed. That was. That was pretty. <laughs> you think that there was maybe some beef? There was some beef in the background we didn't <laughs> see. You know, he was trying to move in on Cass. You know, after Ooh. Tom gave up, and he's Ooh. like, "I'm not going through this a second time." You're not bridge you're get, crew. You're getting, eat, you're getting eaten by the rock monster. You're not bridge crew. I can off you and get away with it. You you certainly tainted my perception of this going in. So maybe I wasn't uh, looking at it through neutral eyes. I was already predisposed, thinking it was going to be a stupid episode. It came out a little bit better than I was expecting, and that's and that's fine. I do like the overall conceit of the episode, which is it is Neelix telling a story like the entire episode occurs in the relative past of Voyager. Uh, we, we get an opening of Neelix in the mess hall, turning things off because they're about to turn out all the power and they're talking about something that happened prior to that event because seven of nine comes in and spooks them, you know, and there's, there's a, there's this sort of horror movie element, you know, spooky story element to all of this, including the music. There's in fact, one spot where the music gets almost very like Friday the 13th, you know, with some synths and a little almost like type of type of uh vibe to it. I guess that's uh yeah, that's Friday the 13th, isn't it? Yeah, this premiered. Oh, wow. Look at that. May 17th. Here we are on May 27th. 
21 years later. I, I, I would have not been surprised if this was their October entry for some sort of plant Halloween stuff. <laughs> it does have that vibe to it. So they, they do a decent job of establishing a, a dis, a disquieting atmosphere. And they frame it up as a ghost story that whatever Voyager is up to, it has to do with some nebula. It it looks spoopy and all the power has to be turned off. And it has to do with some shit that happened apparently before the Borg children were even on board. So several episodes have gone on in the show between whenever this stuff originally happened and now, which is an interesting conceit because we know there isn't necessarily stakes to this episode, right? Like we know everyone has been on the show since then. Neelix has to go babysit the kids because they all are all going to be taken out of their uh, regeneration cycles. And so he's telling them a story that he gets led to because uh, one of the Borg children, I think it was Mizadi. The little girl. Brings, yeah. The, the little girl brings up that Naomi Wildman said that uh, deck 12 was haunted. But then Ichab actually brings up, well, there is a part of Deck 12 that no one is allowed to access, which is very strange. And that's when they launch into the story and it's told all in flashbacks from Neelix's recollection, which is pointed out in the story to be flawed. Not exactly correct. He's a somewhat unreliable narrator. Maybe it's a failure of the episode, but by the end, you don't really ever get confirmation if Neelix is telling the truth or not. It does seem like he was telling the truth. It's just some of the details were probably not exactly accurate. True, but at the same time, we do know that Neelix is known to be full of shit, and uh, there was kind of a twinkle in his eye at the end kind of like oh yeah i've just been wasting everybody's fucking time getting you to direct your attention off something else you never really see anything fly out of the ship and they never really they never really confirm the stuff it doesn't matter ultimately one way or the other they do though they have the shot there at the end where he goes up to the bridge and they see they cut to the the electric entity that's now in the nebula did they because i didn't see yeah hmm I mean, they, they don't tell you that everything Neelix said is true, but they they in, do show clearly indicate that, so, that something along the lines of what Neelix described happened. OK, I, to be fair, I fell asleep like halfway through this. <laughs> <laughs> so I was very sleepy by the end of this, and I, I might have missed that this episode. I, I'm curious what they were really going for. So this is a story by Mike Sussman, play by Kenneth Bewilder, Brian Fuller. Directed by old David Livingston. Like, were they trying to make something kind of scary or is this supposed to be more of a silly? How did it come off to you? I think that there was some genuine attempts at making a scary episode. And there were a couple scenes that really worked to that end. And I think where this episode does not fully work is that they don't kind of like follow that thread very effectively because they'll have some effective sort of horror jump scare disquiet especially at the end with Janeway basically like negotiating with the entity and you know it's literally killing her and she's you know not allowing it to have its way and that's very well done 
Um, and then you have the scene where Harry Kim runs into the wizard from the D&D movie <laughs> and talk about all the times they've been invaded by terrible aliens, which is comedic. It's funny. It was a funny scene and doesn't necessarily connect with the rest of the mood. The episode that this reminds me of the most is Night, which was what season four opener. I was the season five opener. That's uh, where we get introduced to the Malon and the Tootsie Roll people. And the front half of that episode, um, they're going through a region of space that's like pitch black. And then at a certain point, Voyager loses power. And I think that that episode does a much better job of making Voyager seem creepy with the lights off, makes it feel very stale and almost like a crypt better jump scares than that other stuff. So comparing the two of those together, I think that night really beat it out. If you're going for a horror uh, atmosphere, uh, this, I, I, I've got some ideas on how to spruce it up, but, uh, but, but moving through like, yeah, you've got two stories. You've got Neelix's recollection of the past and then Neelix in the present dealing with a bunch of little kids, as you've wonderfully put it, sitting around a fire playing. Are you afraid of the dark? Yes. This this actually kind of feels right in the sort of level of are you afraid of the dark in terms of level of fright? It's not actually scary. It tries to set a mood. It is a more effective at sometimes than others in, in accomplishing that. I I kind of wanted gave this extra points for effort and also because it was so much better than my expectations and memory that I think I, I started particularly towards the end feeling very charitable about it. <laughs> pity points great i did i gave it pity points because it's like man at least this got the at least you tried cake you know like this this tried to do something cool and interesting and tell a story in a different way and still felt very star trek and very much like a voyager episode um when seven of nine shows up in the mess hall to kind of start babysitting neelix uh they begin turning things off I find it ridiculous the notion that Seven of Nine does not have night vision. And and even with like half of her brain and that occipital implant being in there that she still has to use those ridiculous goddamn wristband flashlights. As soon as I saw them get turned on, I knew you'd mention it. It looks so dumb. <laughs> so dumb. Like when when Neelix is poking around the mess hall and he's got like his arm crooked like a T-Rex to try and point this fucking flashlight ridiculous they they set it up and they're like all right begin uh the power down process and you get a pretty cool montage of all the different parts of the ship as the lights turn off and all i could think is like man how annoying would it be if every time the lights turned off in a room it actually made the noise they used to power everything down in this episode because this is that just over and over and over again the flashbacks start in this episode set up why that everything has happened is that voyager is topping off the tank uh so something they they i think better explain in this episode than in most other times deuterium is the fuel for that is the matter in the ant matter antimatter reaction right the uh, dilithium crystals are important because they catalyze the matter antimatter reaction they are not the fuel of a warp drive and 
right now Voyager is trying to collect deuterium from a class J nebula that apparently has a great, great deal of it in it using the Bussard collectors, which are the edges, I guess, like on, on the, on the periphery of the warp nacelles, if I recall correctly, if my, no, it's the red things at the end. It's the red things at the end. Okay. I knew they were on the nacelles. Mm -hmm. So the idea is you just kind of like motor through a bunch of it and it just, you start vacuuming it up and that's how you can kind of top off the tank. So they're, they're going through a refueling period. I thought that was very cool continuity. Really like dug deep on like technical details and kind of got it all right. And it's kind of an unsteady ride. The ship's getting rocked quite a bit. Neelix is uh, panicky. He's not a big fan of space turbulence, evidently. A lot of bad memories from Talax and shit where, you know, freighters would go missing. Like his old story about them, like all asphyxiating slowly one by one. And brings his concerns up to uh, Tuvok. They have more awkward buddy comedy moments in this one uh, where he's like, why don't you uh, ask for permission to get some fucking curtains in your your quarters if you're not worried about it. Uh, But before long, things are not going super hot and they need to motor out of there because they're destabilizing the nebula. When they do, they get a stowaway who is ultimately the ghost in our ghost story. That begins the onset of some pretty by the numbers things are wrong around the ship, which I enjoy when the sonic showers are fucking up and the replicators are a pretty cool scene, especially for 19. I'm sorry for. Yeah. For the year 2000. The 2000. Janeway, the makes, Janeway makes one cup of coffee. Uh, it tastes like poop. She makes another cup of coffee. It replicates the coffee, but not the cup. So you've got this cylinder of black fluid that then uh, falls apart all over the replicator deck. And then a cup beams in separately. And Janeway begins this pattern we'll see two or three times through the episode where she gets in close and talks to the ship directly. At that point, she says, you know, this is a bad way to start the morning. And uh, Chakotay's there and he kind of catches her and he's like, what are you doing? She's like, oh, I'm just talking to the ship. And then Chakotay's got this line. He's like, oh, I used to talk to my Maquis ship all the time. And it's like, come on, man. It's your ship. Valjean. (laughs) Name your ship, dude. It's called the Valjean. You're (laughs) your dirty Al Camino ghetto sled. (laughs) Listen, rednecks talk to their shitty cars all the time. I mean, I Everybody actually buy talks their doesn't. cars. I had my my Civic had a name, you know, Grace. She was awesome. Uh, I I love these. But yeah, like, damn it, Chakotay used the name. <laughs> yeah, my Maquis ship, Valjean, you might remember it. We had to use it to ram the fucking K's, the Kmart Klingons, you know, back when you stranded us all, Kathy. Back before we realized that all we had to do was fart at them and we they would run away. Yeah. Like, there no f- there's no fight in this Kmart Klingons. Ruined a perfectly good ship. Yeah. I you know, I'm I'm frequently drawn back to like that. Um the gosh, wasn't Prometheus. was it Prometheus? What was uh the the season opener for this one? Oh, that would have been the uh, Equinox. Equinox. 
the idea of there being two ships lost in space, the Pegasus and the Battlestar Galactica. It might have been interesting to see the Valjean ride it out I, a little deeper. I I know that it wouldn't because quite frankly a lot of the dramatic tension in Battlestar Galactica got sucked out for the period of time in which the Pegasus was sort of in play because so much of what was making the show compelling and I guess we'll get to talk about this more in a not too distant future is that the scarcity of resources was extremely real and that Galactica as the sort of military presence was not was obviously like literally a ship about to be retired, right? Like it is the bottom of the barrel in terms of ships that are capable of doing this. And then Pegasus shows up and after all the initial drama there, you just all of a sudden had the state of the art super ship that could literally produce new vipers in it. That just kind of crushed that element of the show mm. for it for like a, two thirds of a season. Well, you know? in this case, Voyager would have been the Pegasus since it's the new top of the line. And uh, Chakotay's El Camino would have been the 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 resource uh, sieve. Uh, but these systems are fucking up all over the ship and you get the classic disaster stuff, right? Uh, Chakotay almost gets killed in a turbo lift. I thought that was so cool, and I figured you would be all about it. Finally, someone it. almost dies in a turbo lift. And I would think that Chicote would have been like, all right, you know, attention all hands. Stay off the turbo lifts. I almost yeah, just, just got comes killed. comes out like, oh, that sucked. Like, <laughs> he's barely moved at the fact that he the turbo lift tried to kill him. Yeah. Okay, we're going to go uh, check these neural gel packs. Well, only if we don't go on the turbo lifts. Well, why can't we go on the triple lifts? Oh, it's a funny story. I'll tell you in the Jeffrey's tube. No, tell the chief engineer now before you've got some fucking Resident Evil shit and someone gets their head ripped off. Janeway knows something's wrong because they're going around in circles. And, you know, like, Tom, what the fuck are you doing? He's like, oh, my instruments say we're not going around in circles. And he's like about to go on this. We spend too much time relying on 24th century technology. Give me a star map and dead reckoning and I'll set us straight. And then they just like jump to warp <laughs> like that. Ah, yep. It's not good. That could be a star that way. Could Stop. be space dust and maybe the main deflectors offline and we're going to get obliterated. Uh, when your starship quits listening to commands, it can be very scary. And this. I think that back in next gen. I can't remember the episode name, but the one where the Yamato blows up. Yeah, it was early on. I thought that was a really awesome episode. I thought that the horror and the danger and the frantic uh, sword of Damocles hanging over their head was like so real in that. And seeing like what happens when a Federation starship falls apart from the inside out. Uh, I I don't think they, they really captured that properly here. And I think that was too bad because there is a lot of mileage to get out of those moments and they, they kind of speed through it here. Part of the sequence is Bolana thinks she has it figured out. She thinks it's bioneural gel packs. They go check it out. Gel packs are fine. Seven of nine thinks that suddenly returning guest star Tal Saris is somehow responsible for this. Yes, the Bajoran lady from the uh, Good Shepherd episode. <laughs> 
she's back in this one like haven't seen her since we'll never see her again uh but all of a sudden she's here and it was a welcome return i will never say no to 90s hotties i by the way i want to apologize to our listeners because i probably made the biggest punt of my podcasting career when i failed to mention that tal Sellis was uh played by the same actress who played the wizard lady in the D movie so if you were as i was in the year 2000 a uh, a lad who played his share of dungeons and dragons uh you too would have been hype over the concept of a Dungeons and Dragons movie when you heard of it literally in the pat pages of Inquest magazine. I was working and, in the movie theater when that came out. It was fucking so, terrible. Oh, oh god, yes. So I hear I, I read about it in this in Inquest magazine. Like, holy shit, a a and d movie that's gonna be in theaters. This is crazy. And then you read that there's there's a Wayne's brother involved in some way, and you're like, I don't know, seems a little suspect, but Okay, Jeremy Irons is is the the villain. Okay, that's cool. Uh, Thora Birch, who I guess was most famous for Ghost World at that point. I don't know if Ghost World came out before that or after that. No, it was American Beauty came out before that because I was in 1999. And I think Ghost World might have come in after. So two famous actors, a Wayne's brother. There's like <laughs> things happening here, right? <laughs> And this was the first time in my life that I went and saw a movie, saw it in theaters, saw it opening weekend, watched it. It was terrible. And I and I really like actually for the first time was like. Bad movies can also be fun to watch. Because they're bad, you know, like that moment where it's like, oh, bad movies aren't miserable. Bad movies can be so bad that you can make fun of them with your friends and they're actually an enjoyable thing to watch. So I, we go, we watch it. And as we're watching, we're astonished by how bad it is. And about halfway through, we're finally like into how bad it is after we've gotten over that initial shock of like, this is fucking terrible. And we went and ended up and watching it two more times. Like we had to bring more, like you have to see this. It's not going to last. You have to see this artifact in, in its, in its full, in its final form. Well, your miss on uh, her being the wizard, I would say, still pales in comparison to me somehow missing that Seven of Nine's father is Ugg from Salute Your Shorts. <laughs> the shame I feel there is eternal. Um, but anyways, there's a wizard and there is the daughter of Ugg. And uh, Seven of Nine's like, A, you fucked this up so bad that I'm here to fix it now. And she's like, but I just got here. And it's, you know, it's it's neat to see this character not only pulled out of mothballs, but right in the rut of what her concern was that she's got the universe's hardest boss and her job sucks ass. Yeah, like it is actually perfectly in continuity with where we for, picked up with her before is she feels like a charity case. And she has a perfectionist robot, you know, lady as Terminatrix as superior. Uh-huh. Yeah, the Terminatrix is overseeing her and has zero chill with her myth fucking up so much so that something fucks up in her vicinity. She's done nothing. And Seven of Nine charges over and is like, you fucked this up. How dare you? And she's like, I, I just got here. 
I didn't touch anything. And then it fucks up again. It's like, see, it's not my fault. I didn't do it. It's not my fault this time. So what's going on is the space ghost is jumping from system to system. And while it's present, it's thrown out all sorts of error codes. But by the time repair crews show up, we find out that, hey, everything's fine after all. And it becomes this process of trying to chase the problem down and get to it before it has a chance to move on. I want to say this culminates with seven of nine in a cargo bay, maybe even her her board regeneration alcove. Yeah, they, they it's pointed out it is, in fact, the same cargo bay that the kids are are in in that moment. It's ref- reflected on by the children. It's part of the <gasps> spooky she sees and the ghost is represented by like crackling electricity. We see the thing go into the alcove and start crackling. I figured seven would just grab one of the many compression rifles she has stowed away in there and, and blast it. But uh, that's why she collects them there. That's why she had uh, Joe Carey cleaning them there. Um, it starts fucking with environmental controls, basically rebuilding the nebula. It was picked up and which is a poison gas and seven goes to get out of it. And it locks the door down and we find out that the emergency overrides hidden in the floor next to the door. Okay, whatever. <laughs> Gotta be somewhere. Sure. If I'm about to pass out, I guess that's a convenient place for it. She gets out, but it puts up force fields for the first time ever. Force fields managed to stop seven of nine for all the time. She's rampaged unchecked through the ship. <laughs> <laughs> what I'm saying is uh, Space Gas is a better security operator than Tuvok is. Just add it to the list. Space Gas, Swamp Gas is able to contain Seven of Nine where Tuvok cannot. We got Chakotay and Balana, and they show up and like, oh, God, there she is. She's laying on the ground. She's getting covered in nebula gas. It's shocking her through her implant. We can't get the computer to override. We find out that you can deactivate a force field, a security force field, by shooting the wall. Chakotay, for some reason, has a type 2 phaser. Sure, whatever. And yeah, he, he blasts the thing and the door goes down. Yay. Problem solved for now. So they get seven to sick bay and they're continuing to try and figure out what's going on. Um, there is a, a moment where everything starts to go wrong in the uh, mess hall. And Harry Kim is in there and apparently... He is in a position of high enough authority that he basically tells everyone to go back to work. I've got that in my notes. I say Kim flexing nuts. And he's a bridge officer. Yeah. Stand. What's the much I said? Shut up. Sit down. (laughs) Yeah. Some lieutenant in the back is like, Ensign, I'm eating my spaghetti. Shut the fuck up. Just some some Dolby back there having his Leo root beef jerky. Shut, shut up. Um, So we get a fair amount of uh, disorganization that'll drive the next couple scenes where uh, the halls get vacated. And for a ship as small as it is, with as many people as it has, it becomes a ghost town of sorts. Uh, And that's going to require the bridge getting evacuated in what I consider to be one of the most delightful scenes I have seen all series. It was quite a... uh industrial accident type of effect that i know is near and dear to your heart not only an industrial accident but very lulzy uh they're trying to get (laughs) con back online so they can get control of the ship and nothing seems to be working and then janeway gets in for some more ship talking hey 
if you if you do what I want you to do, I'm going to find the next M-class planet we can. We're going to bust out that 37 stock footage and land this bitch again. Maybe even we'll get Dragon's Teeth landing footage because that was so much better. And I'm going to do a full maintenance work out of you. And it's going to be so great. You're going to love it. It's going to be great. And then Tom's like, oh, great. The con's back on. I don't know what you did, but I'm going to go ahead and lay in the co- Oh, as, <laughs> as Mortal Kombat, Raiden comes out of the... <laughs> out of the helm and shocks him right in the fucking face, right in the teeth. And, and it's and not the, just the, like a quick, like flash. It's like ghostbusters proton pack. They're laying into him. Like he's a stay puff marshmallow, man. He even gets like a momentary shouted warning from Janeway of like, Tom, your console is about to proton pack you. you. <laughs> and he's like, what? And then and the, the best part though, is that when, you know, he's like slumped over. And when they like bring him back up into frame to take him to sick bay, he's got some gnarly burn makeup all over he him. Like he's fucked up. Fucked up. He looks it's like Cass tried to melt his brain level of fucked up. It's like he laid on the two wires on the streetcar and got all the electricity through his face. Like normally they skimp on these things and someone's just saying like, oh, gosh. Yeah, no, a like, little, little little brown makeup here or there. You look a little burned, quote unquote. He's like one step back from when his face was pulsing in uh, threshold when he was turning into <laughs> lizard, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's it's a serious wound, and they they really went the distance on the makeup for this shot and this shot alone. It was pretty crazy. They're like trying to bring him up to the doctors, uh, you know, to to the sick bay. And like people are real close up on him, like God's face probably stinks. Like that wound yeah. looks yeah, burnt flesh. Um, immediately, pussy. we are confronted with uh, a situation that I don't know if we've ever mentioned on the show or not before. But um, the doctor's only backup being Tom Paris is a real stupid idea. So when you're dragging <laughs> Nurse Tom Paris to the doctor because his face just got burned off and then the doctor gets turned off by the the power fluctuations like hmm maybe we should have planned on not having maybe we should have taken someone to medical school like we've been saying Tom last... Paris the helmsman the helm on Voyager is like this horseshoe it's potentially the biggest Elcar's console in the entire ship and as you know the Elkar's consoles in Federation ships are laden with C4 and, and yes. electricity beams. <laughs> Pipe bombs are under all of them. If anybody stands a chance of getting their face blown off on a regular basis, it's Tom. Tom should not be your only medical backup. Tom is the most at-risk person, short of whoever is currently subordinate to Neelix. They have the doctor. They put him in the, I think, in the mobile emitter or something like that, you know, so that he doesn't get vanished as all of this stuff happens and uh there's other people have hurt obviously seven of nine was there fucked up shit is happening and this is where they have the random scene where harry kim is wandering the the, the halls and then just gets ambushed by tal Celis in the middle of the hall, just rolls up with a steel chair, which just hits him in the stomach, and is prepared to go ha- go house on him, and then realizes it's Harry. And we get this, this scene, which is actually great. It's extremely well acted. 
I really wish we could have seen more of Tal Celis because she's so into like I thought you could be Borg or Herogen because we invade we get invaded by aliens all the time. This is this is how they do it, right? They weaken us with some bullshit and then they come to get us. I'm ready. I'll fuck them up with a chair. Let's do this shit. I'm Bane Joran. Right? This is, we don't play. Yeah, I'm. You, I'll fuck them up. Let's do it. I ain't getting taken over. <laughs> like. <laughs> I her I mean it's a little bit more panicky than that, but she's also like I I'm ready to go. Let's do this. And then Harry's and her, like, no, everything's fine. Even though I haven't seen anybody else for an hour s- somehow. Like this isn't a galaxy class ship. You're not walking around like a stadium. It's it's a small ship. I thought it was silly that he didn't know to go down to engineering or whatever. But I thought it would have been cool if they'd be like, hey, you're the only person I've seen in like hours. Are we caught in like a static warp bubble or do we get pulled off into like some weird, wacky alternate reality where we're here alone? Again, a starship in the dark, as we saw at night, should be very creepy. And and I wish David Livingston could have captured that essence a little better than what we saw. I, I did like that her mind ran to this is a a pretext for invasion by one of the multitude of hostile alien forces that have invaded the ship in the past. Therefore I have armed myself with a chair and I'm demanding we go to a weapons locker before we go to engineering. Here's what I, I want. I'm not convinced that this is, this is somehow just a power failure. Here's what I want. I want Kim to try and be the little hard ass that he is in this. Right. Mm-hmm. And no, everything's fine. They probably just set up a mobile command post in, uh, in engineering, blah, blah, blah. And then I want her to mention species 8472. And I want to see a look of horror cross Kim's face. And he goes, yeah, we can swing by the weapons locker. The fact they never reflect on the face that he was about to be written off of the show with worm bukkake all over his <laughs> eyes and nose and mouth. And he's just so chill about it now. Like this dude's taking double dosage of uh, Federation Prozac. Meanwhile, apparently, Celis throws hers out. <laughs> I they need, don't give it to I need my anxiety. It gives me an edge. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they also have a similar situation where uh, we finally have Neelix meet up with uh, Tuvok and they spend the rest of the episode together. And essentially, the arc there is that Tuvok is trying to help Neelix overcome his intense fear about the situation. Neelix sort of fails at that, but at the last. In the last piece of the episode, he overcomes his fear to specifically save Tuvok and even like does like action one liners. Be like, I'll pick you up by your damn ears if I have to. Here's the takeaways from this. Neelix says this is the most scared I've ever been. Neelix has been some pretty scary situations before. Neelix has had his lungs stolen. (laughs) Well, that's the second part we're going to go into. But like. Wasn't Neelix part? What was that called Juggernaut, where they had to go on the Malon vessel, and there was like the bio waste mutant stalking them and killing people? Yes, the one where they they got Bolana very greased up and sweaty. Yeah, that's that. I mean, minus a very sexy ending there. That seemed like that was a pretty scary time. Uh, the Borg incidents; those were scary. Like ne- Neelix has seen some shit. Uh, <laughs> the the guided meditation that Tuvok gives him where he says, okay, uh, you know, focus on a light now inhale and feel your lungs filled with a light. And it's like, are you, are you being intentionally shitty? You know, this fucking cast only got one. (laughs) Unless they gave him future crusty Kess's good lung. 
Again, I mean, what happened to that lung? You got two people on that ship that have one lung apiece. Future Kess, you got to use all the parts of the buffalo, man. Like, you can't just throw that fucking lung out. Someone had to get that lung. I just really was looking for the subplot where Neelix is one... A lung from a mayfly species gives out like five or six years in. He just like there croaks, enough. just falls over. Like, or he gets oh, like now. partial Q powers off of it. Like there's a phantom limb dealing as Kess hyper evolves. Like her old lung gives him like the occasional wish or telekinesis or something. Uh, and I also was happy to see our old friend uh, set piece reemerge. They're trying to open doors and oh, the bomb nook. Yeah, the good old time bomb glory hole. (laughs) The bomb nook is, in fact, used in its in its exact specification. We haven't seen that since the Voyager conspiracy. And, uh, you know, speaking of using all the parts of the Buffalo, if if you're going to get these set designers to make a new hole in the wall, you know, David Livingston's going to jam that fucking camera in there. And give us a nice. There's two. He's the most. He is the most economical of the Voyager filmmakers. Like David Livingston is very much uh, a a house guy when it comes to Star Trek. He is not fancy. He is not trying to do wild shit. He, he is does. extremely. He gets some real goofy trick shots. Like even in this episode alone, you get two separate views where you're peeking at the cast members through technology. The first being uh Janeway where the camera is jammed in the replicator looking at her and then uh time bomb glory hole I'm not saying you can't do innovative camera work what I am saying is that he uses all he is the use all of the buffalo guy mm, right like yeah. he's going to use the bomb nook you know <laughs> like it's going to be as economical as possible when it comes to making the episode. Not everybody think, knows about the bomb nook, right? Like you bring in a guest director, they're not going to know all the hidey holes. But David Livingston, he's there so much, he knows all the glory holes to use. <laughs> he's, a, he's an expert on all of the glory <laughs> holes. Is that what you're saying about David director David Livingston? Director of David Livingston was was Livingston the one that was dating Janeway? Uh Kate Mulgrew. Yeah. Um, no, that was God. Well, I have to look it up. It was Wait. Oh, uh, Rick Colby. Colby. Yes. Rick Colby might have had his dick in that time bomb glory hole for some <laughs> set play. I'm just, we are going to a down a dark road. Let us continue talking about this. I, real quick. Some more Delta Flyers fun there. Um, they talk about uh, the universal lot had a problem with cats. Did you did you hear any of these? No. And that they would have this huge problem where these cats would uh, come out of uh, all the storage areas when the scenes were out. Like, you know, so the fucking sets would just be covered in cat hair and they'd have to have like production assistants go through with limp brushes and just decat all of the expensive sets. And that some of the sets, not the bridge sets, uh, I think it was the planet hell sets, which just stink like cat piss so fucking bad. (laughs) Jesus. God, that is man, can't control your fucking stray cat problem enough to spare planet hell. I guess it does get you in into the mood though, right? Like you're in a stinky sulfuric cave on a yeah. on a planet. Having you sure like aliens cat world smell like cat piss. That's, yeah. that's no, the... I, I buy it. That's a value add. That's some method shit right mm-hmm. there. That's what that is. So yeah, they 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 
hang out and by the end neelix uh you know the tables turn and it's neelix dragon Tuvok. who does who else gets shot in the face with electricity is it tuvok yeah tuvok there at the end gets got that's why uh neelix needs to save him um so much good face shocking in this episode the the episode ends up centering on you know, the ship's falling apart. There's this kind of horror movie stuff going on. Like I said, like Neelix has a whole thing when he's in the dark of the mess hall and the music starts to get very horror movie. They try to like set that mood. Some scenes are far more effective at edit than others, but it concludes with the ship starting to try and communicate with Janeway is what she puts together. Like the computer is talking to her and they and they had at this point put together that whatever was happening to the ship was being caused by some kind of phenomenon that seemed almost intelligent, right? Like, so there was that information and then this information that led Janeway to believe, oh, this is a life form and it's trying to talk to us. And so she feeds it information on how to talk to them and eventually discovers, indeed, it is a life form. It was in that uh nebula that they were just in it wants to go home at first it's trying to turn the ship around and make it go back they return to the nebula only to find out that oops janeway has burned its house down and it's gone and now it's super pissed and has decided it is going to murder everyone on the ship and take their home away because its home has been destroyed which okay I like it. I like that as the space dilemma. You fucked up this thing's house and now it's mad at you. That's uh repercussion. That tracks, man. That I get Voyager it. Like, Listen, that's why that next door rating is so low, all right? Yeah. Even even formless entities in nebulas have learned to hate you. Going all the way back to season one when you had to show it your belly mm-hmm. to the thing in the nebula so that you could piss yourself and escape. <laughs> like, you've got a bad rep with every form of life in this whole goddamn quadrant. Janeway makes everybody abandon ship. We find out later on that it took uh, almost three days to get everybody back on board, which seems excessive, but uh, good to know anyways. I want to point out... Um, little girl borg i i like her i like her i like each i like their interplays the two twin boys are kind of throwaway but uh imzadi he said imzadi or itzadi uh mizadi 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 and each pretty good i like these guys um i like i like uh neelix in there trying to distract him from the story with like slim jims and that fucking flotter novel <laughs> I'm surprised he didn't have that damn stuffed animal. They kept trying to make a thing. I appreciated the callback to the flutter like series of books. Mm-hmm. This was a good episode for continuity in a lot of ways. It was good for bringing back uh, Tal Celis. It was good for just the technical explanation of what happened. Vork the- gets a shout out. Vork's name is mentioned like you can tell like you can always tell when Brian Fuller is on a story because he just kind of like makes sure all this shit happens <laughs> like and there's no reason not to I mean you've got so many opportunities to be self-referential take advantage of it it's appreciated just fucking do it uh, I'm surprised that during the final exchange where Janeway is like hey you know work with me or neither of us are going to survive like 
it was very off brand for her not to try and invoke a self-destruct. I kind of got it, though, which is, okay. I'm going to save the crew because the ship will just destroy itself no matter what. It's a matter of me making the last ditch effort to try and save the ship. I've saved all the people. They're safe. Now it's either the ship's going to blow up because this entity is going to cause it to blow up because of its interference, Mm. or I'm going to fucking talk it into reason. Maybe it'll blow up. Maybe it'll just break down and be dead in the water. And you've got the best Federation technology waiting to be salvaged by God knows who. For all the times Janeway's called a self-destruct, I'd say this is a real situation that would have uh, begged merit of that. Finally, though, they reach an agreement. Janeway says, we'll go back, we'll, we'll find something new for you. And uh, we are led to then assume that this entity had somehow been quarantined to deck 12, section 10 or whatever, and has been essentially cargo for the last several episodes. It would have been cool at some point, like had it taken an episode or so to dump this thing off for some other dilemma to come across Voyager and this thing to like lightning over to their ship, fuck their shit up and then come back to Voyager having freshly ravaged an enemy crew. I I kind of like the idea that there was a hidden adventure and that the solution was that this thing has just been chilling while they've been dealing with other bullshit, trying to find some place to put it. Let me you jump know? back. And then there's, what what has happened since then? Lifeline, not a big deal. I mean, everything that everything bef- that happened after they met the Borg children, right? Like we can say that for certain. This thing could have fucked Kess up. That would have been Lulzy, right? Muse, not a big uh, opportunity there. So Lift- child's child's play was when that was. Hey, it's Crowley. Collective was the episode when the kids came on board, which was mm-hmm. the episode sixteenth episode. So spirit folk could have fucked up Ooh. the Irish. Could have <laughs> fucked up the Irish real good. I'm done fucking with these holodeck things. Get Shocky in there, or Shocky uh, just say I'm done with these guys, and Shocky could have went and dealt with them himself. <laughs> you had uh, 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 Harry's Canadian girlfriend showed up. Ashes, so Shock- ashes. Shocky could have fucked those guys up. <laughs> Shocky could have Shocky could have fucked up the Borg in Child's Play, right? That tactical cube or whatever or uh-huh. sphere. You're gonna be like Shocky, get him, buddy. They could have turned him into the ship's pet. I like the idea of Shocky just being this malicious, marauding, bad motherfucker that they try their best to like get to chill, but when like pack leads and other space trash just gets to be too annoying, this thing just shocks over there and just rampages. And it's just another it's like, again, uh, to the next door analogy. Now Voyager has a fucking uh, aggressive dog breed that's just (laughs) off leash mauling kids all over the place. It's it's why they got like hurry. Like we got to find a place to put this thing. Listen, taste for blood. (laughs) These goddamn Voyager. Not only do they have a pet Borg, they've got a rogue shocky and it just it shocked my face so bad. It stinks of dead skin now. Oh, Jesus. I, God, they could have done so much more with Shocky. I'm, I'm very sad. <laughs> I do like... Pulled the Malorn back out. It could have shocked them up. The, the briefing that would have to happen when they get back to Starfleet, right? And they go through all their adventures. 
<laughs> oh yeah, for six months we had a, a malefic energy entity that we had in our beck and call to <laughs> ravage our enemies. It was subletting deck 12 until we could find a more appropriate... <laughs> <laughs> And then Admiral Hayes is like, this is not Starfleet. I don't. And then all of a sudden, a uh, console explodes and his face gets shocked. <laughs> we sent him through the data stream. <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Zimmerman or, gets shocked. <laughs> or it's like he asked for the for an update and they start getting this information. You just see like a, a video from Admiral Hayes. He's ashen. He's <laughs> like, stop giving me updates. The less I, I know, the things I know now, I can be court martial for yeah. what you've done. Yeah, <laughs> just destroy the records. Mm. Go back. This. What? D- oh, damn, is there any chance we could have had virtuoso? Shocky could have been a virtuoso and shocked the assholes. No, unfortunately, virtuoso happened before collect. I guess technically it was close enough that if could it have happened- made a detour back. You know, it could be that this happened, you know, before they got to the planet of the assholes and they could have unleashed Shockey on them. Is there ever like a sequel to The Haunting of Deck 12 where it's like Shockey 2 First Blood? Like, <laughs> I mean, like, like Rambo Nan- Rambo naming? was First Blood was a second Rambo. I think Rambo 2 was just Rambo 2 and Rambo First Blood was... Rambo 3? It just was, no, that was definitely the first one. Mm. Listen, dude. I don't, okay, fine. Shocky to Electric Boogaloo. It, it's the <laughs> listen. Horror movies do have a tendency to have a lot of bad sequels, right? And a lot of bad sequels that eventually require uh, iterations on the name. You know, Friday the Thirteenth got to like part nine. Jason goes to hell or whatever. Like when you've got Shocky living on the ship uh, as a roommate. Like, how stank do Tuvok and Paris have to be that this fucking thing... <laughs> this thing f- melted their flesh, gave them brain injuries. And then, like, Janeway's just letting it chill out over there. Like, there there could be some real good shade on that. Here's here's what I want out of this episode. Throw Shocky plot in the trash. I, I like the idea of when sci-fi and the supernatural begin to blur. And we've talked about this heavily in our first couple seasons of like, is, can there be magic? Can there be monsters in a, a warp capable society or do vampires and mummies just become different, uh, alien species and, and classified as whatever. Right. Um, you don't really, I, I would say the answer is no, you can't have that supernatural element, but this like I would have liked to see something fucky in a nebula that they were traveling through that somehow is tachyons or whatever you want to call, but moments of intense violence or intense emotion remanifest like echoes coming back and having scenes similar to uh, in the Watchmen movie where Dr. Manhattan is slowly putting himself back together and you just have these ghostly images, half dead slamming against bulkheads as these consciences are like rematerialized, like some real, that that gives you a really good horror vibe too. Like that, that's really just right. Like it Mm -hmm. just kind of gives you that visceral kind of that's uncomfortable, which is I think kind of where a show like Voyager has to live when it's trying to, 
to hone in on that energy. It can't be scary. It's never going to be scary, but it can be horrifying. And they've done horror well. Uh, the Caretaker, was it Cold Fire? Yeah, that was good. I mean, there was some some great horror in that. Now, that was the one where they they cooked Tuvok's brain, but also like the crew members being pinned to the ceiling and blood dripping down. Like there was some pretty intense stuff there. There's been a lot of violence on Voyager, and I think it would have been a good way to like relive some of the traumatic experiences a ship's gone through if you really wanted to have that scary thing. And I like the idea of it just not a consciousness, not an alien stowaway, not real ghosts, but just powerful emotional events remanifesting uh, and the crew kind of having to have this moment where they look back at all the bad stuff that's happened and reflect. As it is, though, Shaki, he, he does okay. The, the story they presented was not like at a level of like Fury where it demands rewrites. This was close. It just needed a little bit of fine tuning, maybe a better director that could have explored the horror of the situation they were in with these unexplained phenomenons happening, that this was all because of their own actions, that they were just a little too by the numbers, which is where I really do fault the director specifically to to really deliver. But it's not that bad. Like if you've heard that this episode is dog shit, I assure you there is far, far, far worse just in this season and certainly through all of Voyager than this. This was perfectly acceptable in my opinion. I agree. Speaking of perfectly acceptable, what are we watching next week? We are moving into season six, episode 26, season finale, Unimatrix Zero, part one. And there is a seven to nine looking a little apprehensive. Janeway sees an opportunity to disrupt the Borg when seven of nine visits a virtual world where drones retain their individuality for a short time. This episode, obviously, it it's continues on at the beginning of season seven has like one of the coolest storylines as far as like furthering the idea of the Borg and telling a story about the collective that I think they ever came up with. And so I think it is beloved for that reason. It also has some of the more baffling Voyager as now OP against the Borg moments. That's impressive (laughs) to hear because Voyager has been better than the Borg, I would say for at least, two seasons now um it gets a little ridiculous on on this particular a little ridiculous more more ridiculous than tom paris holding the collective up at gunpoint the same way he held the continuum up at gunpoint (laughs) it's hard to forget the sins of dark frontier but i think you can actually forgive a lot more of them in this sent in this episode because unlike dark frontier the rest of the episode is actually a banger there's some real cool shit that goes down uh between this and then the it's uh it's follow-up part of me is fun though is cool to watch and from it from a trek fan's perspective the rational part of me is stank that the borg are even still a thing i think that first contact was a great way to close the borg out and i'm resentful that the Borg as a unified collective are even still a thing. Like I could have gone with some rove pockets of marauding cubes, similar to what Lord did with his uh, Borg mercenaries in uh unit. Was it, it wasn't unification. Was it? No, it was uh, no. 
whatever the fuck that was. Um, the other hand, uh, you know, they've been able to tell some interesting Borg stories here and there in Voyager with these non-traditional storylines, such as Chakotay's uh, co-op. No, not co-op. What was it? The Was it the co-op? Was that the name of the, the Borg renegade? The Borg cooperative. Co-op days co-op. Yeah. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I like the survival instinct. You know, her, the quartet coming back together and the damage. So I, I'm excited to hear that you're saying this isn't going to be a complete turd because certainly there's been some real bad ones. Yeah, there have, which is why I kind of wanted to front load this by saying this is an, uh, this has got some redeeming qualities to it at a minimum. The overall quality of it, certainly worthy of discussion between the two of us, but this is got some really interesting stuff that they choose to to lay down as far as the board goes and also like directions they could have gone after this with the Borg that that were interesting obviously like Berminera truck kind of died in terms of its timeline after Voyager in a way that prevented that um anyway we'll talk more about it starting next week when we review I'm sad to know Zero. that Shockey's not going to be there to take his turn fucking up the collector that- <laughs> That's how you make Voyager really OP against the Borg and me be perfectly chill with it. Like, shocky pain is rent, tearing up another queen. <laughs> <laughs>